do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may be able to prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Romans 12:2. This is Resistance and Reformation on the Fight, Laugh, Feast Network. He was a prize catch. Henry Lawrence was just off the coast of Newfoundland when the British cruiser Vestal chased and intercepted his lone rebel packet, the Mercury. Fearing the worst, he emptied all the diplomatic papers from his trunk, stuffed them into a leather bag weighted with shot, and threw the heavy bundle overboard. Unfortunately, he failed to deflate the air within the bag, so it floated and was sighted by an alert sailor on the Vestal and subsequently was hooked on board. On thus discovering both the identity of the Mercury's prominent passenger and his intended mission, the commander of the vessel had the small packet boarded and Lorenz was arrested. It was September the 3rd, 1780. America's war for independence was now in its fourth year, and the conflict was not going particularly well for the mother country. Although the colonial patriots could boast precious few actual field victories, they were a stubborn and elusive lot. They were poorly equipped, underfinanced, and lacked even a modicum of formal military training, yet they continued to harass supply lines, outmaneuver troop placements, and evade naval blockades. The morale of His Majesty's troops was at a an all-time low. The distance between home, combined with the constant frustration at arms, had taken a bitter toll. The war, never particularly popular before, was now stirring a near-mutinous restlessness among the conscripts. The commander of the Vestal was hopeful that the capture of Lawrence might actually afford the royal cause the advantage that it so sorely needed at the present time. He was, after all, one of the most important leaders of the revolution and its fledgling government. A wealthy merchant from South Carolina, Lawrence was a member of the first provincial convention in Charleston in 1775. Uh, The next year, he was elected vice president of the sovereign state under its new constitution and was chosen to serve as a representative in the Continental Congress in Philadelphia. He was so highly regarded by his fellow delegates uh, that when John Hancock resigned his position as president, they unanimously elected Lawrence to succeed him on November the 1st, 1777. His tenure as the fourth president of the newly independent United States was predictably tumultuous. Despite all the difficulties of trying to mobilize the tiny confederated nation for war against impossible odds, supply its widely dispersed continental army, hold together the fractious Congress, and secure international recognition for the patriot cause, he also had to deal with the temperamental General Thomas Conway and 
his acrimonious conflict uh, with the commander-in-chief, George Washington. But he was able to do it all with amazing success. Furiously outspoken, unflaggingly ambitious, and decisively brilliant, his obvious leadership abilities won him the admiration of the American patriots and enmity at the court of Westminster. At the end of his distinguished term, he was appointed to succeed John Adams as the legate to the Dutch government at The Hague. He was to that assignment traveling when he was captured. The commander of the Vestal delivered Lawrence to his supervisors at home amidst a flurry of publicity and fanfare. The London papers trumpeted the news with all the gaudy gossip of a palace coup. They displayed the worst qualities of journalism, all its paralysis of thought, all its monotony of chatter, all its sham culture and shoddy jingoism, all its perpetual readiness uh, to cover any vulgarity of the present with any sentimentalism of the past. One of the papers actually declared that the rebel cause had at long last been dealt its death blow. Another predicted that American resistance would likely collapse within the month. More prudent press observers, uh, while admitting the vital significance of the former president to the colonial cause, cautioned that his captivity might actually only serve to stiffen their resistance. Whatever the American reaction might prove to be, it was clear that the English reaction was profound. Though he has been very nearly forgotten in our own day, his greatness was certainly recognized in his own day. Lawrence was imprisoned in the Tower of London, steeped in English history and in the blood of many of its leading participants, the infamous fortress on the Thames had dominated the city ever since William the Conqueror had built it to repress his unwilling Saxon subjects. Although he had been a lifelong churchman, Lawrence was not particularly known for his piety, unlike his close friends Patrick Henry and Samuel Adams. Uh, but cut off from the noisy forgetfulness of public life, he resolved his faith into what he called a God-fearing, Bible-reading, hymn-singing passion for permanent things. Each day he was allowed to attend private services in the St. Peter Chapel, built by Henry VIII in 1519. In it were buried Anne Boleyn and Catherine Howard, both of whom Henry had beheaded in the Tower Green just a few yards away. Also killed there and buried ignominiously below the chapel floor paving were the Countess of Salisbury, Lady Jane Grey, and the rebel Duke of Monmouth. The associations of the place make it rather oppressive even today. Old terrors and miseries seem to hang in the air. But Lawrence found an unspeakable comfort there. Although he would be released at the end of the war, exchanged for Lord Cornwallis, 
following the surrender at Yorktown as a part of the negotiated ceasefire arrangement, he maintained to the end of his life that it was in that dismal, haunting chapel that he found genuine release. The experience of prison often changes the outlook of men. According to the Greek journalist Taki, it strips away all the inconsequential peripherals of daily life and hones close to the bone of what matters most, faith and family, principle and priority. It either breaks men or makes men. It made Lawrence. Though he was no less irascible in his resistance to English rule, no less belligerent in his revolutionary insurgency, and no less antithetic in his sedition against tyranny, he was far more pensive, far more judicious, and far more principled. Years later, he would summarize his new Christian vision for social involvement as the natural outworking of a threefold covenantal responsibility. He wrote, At a time when liberty is under attack, decency is under assault, and the family is under siege, life itself is threatened, the good will arise in truth. Though they face opposition by fierce subverters, they will arise in truth, never shying, from the standard of truth, never shirking from the author of truth. They will arise in truth with the very essence and substance of their lives. And that is both resistance and reformation. I'm George Grant on the Fight, Laugh, Feast Network. For more information, And for additional resources, go to georgegrant.net.